Well, good morning. No, you're, you're not going crazy. They did let the intern speak two weeks in a row. I, I don't know what they're thinking either, but here we are. It's always a, always a blessing to be here on Sunday mornings and worshiping together, but even more so on a morning like this, it is always great to be here, but it's just a little bit more special when we get to see people baptized in the name of our God. Amen? Okay, I mentioned it last week. Be honest. Who was here an hour early because you forgot to move your clocks back? Anybody? No, it's okay. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go. All right. Who feels way more rested with the extra hour of sleep, right? Great. So you'll be happy to know Alan told me this week, because we gained an hour, I get to add an hour to my sermon. So we're going to be here a while. So strap in. I just, I'm, I'm just kidding. I don't have that much written down. If you don't know me, welcome. My name is Josh Stanley. I get the pleasure of serving here as a pastoral intern uh, with the team here. So occasionally I get to do stuff like this. And if this is your first time here today, or one of your first times, I just want to extend a special welcome to you this morning. Now, can you think of a time in your life where you sat back and you just went, I'm not cut out for this. I, I, I don't have what it takes to get this done. I can see it's happening, but like, that's, that's just not for me. That's too much for me. Let me tell you about a time that this happened to me. I was 17. I was in my senior year of high school. And me and my friends had always enjoyed playing sports together at things like youth group, on weekends, and outside of school. And each of us played on different school sports teams, but we never played on the same team. You know, I played volleyball. My buddies played basketball. Uh, we only had a football team one year, so I was way too small to play on that team, so I didn't join that one. But it was our last year of high school, and we thought, you know what? Wouldn't it be great if we could all play on one sports team together? Although we were 17, so we didn't think ahead. And we didn't make the decision until about February of our final year, which left exactly four sports to be able to play together. First up was badminton. And to be honest, none of us were very good, so we couldn't make the team. And it was done in teams of two, so that was kind of out. Okay, next up was you know, track and field, but like, that's more of an individual sport than a team sport anyway, so we kind of decided we don't really want to do track because I don't want to just run the whole time and I can't really do anything else. And then, so that was out, track was out, which left soccer, and I wasn't playing soccer my last year of high school. And that left one sport left, and that sport was rugby. Now, I don't know if you look at me and think, oh, that's a rugby star. If, I'm not, okay? I'm not built for high-level rugby now, and I wasn't built for it back then, but that was the only thing we could do. And to be honest, our school's rugby team was not very special. I don't think we ever won a game. So I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. So I, I'm like, okay, I'm already hesitant, but I'm like, all right, guys, let's do this. My mother, on the other hand, knew exactly what was going to happen, and she kept telling me, you're going to get brain damage, but I made it out okay. So we go to our first practice, and of course, the very first thing I'm going to teach you at rugby practice is tackle practice, how to give a hit and how to take a hit. So they go, all right, get in groups of four. You're going to go two and two on each side. So perfect. There's four of us. So we, we line up, line across, and I get the ball. I watch the coach. Okay, when you run, you're going to run. When somebody tackles you, this is how you're going to go down. When you're tackling someone, this is how you're going to do it. So I get the ball, and I'm ready for my first, my first go at this. I'm like, okay, I don't know how I feel. I look across, I see my buddy. I take two steps, and that is when I realize I'm five foot ten, 135 pounds soaking wet, and the guy about three feet in front of me is 200 pounds heavier than I am, and he's 6'3". I'm going to let you guess how that tackle practice went. 
So I take two more steps and bam, I'm lying there flat on my back staring up and I just get that feeling of, you're in way over your head. Like, you, you might die. You, like this is, you're not cut out for this. I could see that all my other buddies were having fun and, and they were doing awesome things, learning how to play the game, but I, I'm sitting there thinking, I, I'm just not cut out for this. Have you ever, heard, you ever felt that way about something in your life? You know, sometimes we can feel that way about God, about the things that he's doing. You know, I can see that God's moving. I just, I don't know if I'm the person who needs to join in. I know that there's people to do it. I just don't know if I'm one of those people. Maybe you felt like this before. Maybe you feel like this this morning. I mean, we, we are seeing God at work like I've never seen before in my life here at Bethel. We're seeing people get baptized and tell stories of how God changed their entire lives this morning. We're seeing God move in our church downstairs with stuff like our kids' ministry. Week in and week out, people are being there and serving relentlessly to make sure that these kids know that God knows them and God loves them. And they're not only doing that on Sundays, now they're doing it Tuesday nights as well with our Awana program. God's moving in our student ministry to show these kids what it's like to live for Jesus in a crazy world that just seems so upside down. And God took a group of, like, I don't think we understand how crazy this is, God took a group of 35 people who were here just last November and he sent them out to Glencoe and in a year, God has taken that church of 35 people and they have upwards of 100 people meeting every single week in Glencoe. Like that's, that's amazing. That's not regular. And we heard just a couple weeks ago, he's looking to do it again. Like Lord willing, we want to plant two churches in just over two and a half years. That is amazing. But at the same time, we can feel like I don't know if I'm the right person who can get in on this. I don't know if I have what it takes to join in on God's work. Like sometimes we want to get in, we want to get involved, we want to take that step, but sometimes I can just feel that I can see God moving, but I just feel insufficient and inadequate. I I just, I don't have what it takes to join in on the work that God's doing. You see, we've been going through the book of Acts for this, this fall as a church, and time and time and time again, we have seen God work in mighty ways in the early church. We've heard the message of the gospel preached through Peter many times by this point. We've seen miraculous signs and wonders that God has done, and today, we're going to be in the back half of Acts chapter 4, picking up right where we left off last week. And we're going to see today in our, in our text that even when we feel inadequate and insufficient, I don't, I don't have what it takes to join in on this thing. God still wants us to join in on the work that he's doing. And he himself is going to guarantee that we not only have the stuff to get started, we can actually continue to serve with him throughout our lives. So before we go, would you just pray with me before we open God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come here today and hear the stories of how you have been working mightily in the lives of our people. How you have saved people and changed their lives. And so, Lord, I just ask as we come before your text, as we come before your word today, that you would encourage us and that you would strengthen us by it and that we would know that despite how we feel, despite what we may be feeling, you still want us to come and join in the work that you're doing in us and through us. And so, Lord, as we do this, Would the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord? And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So like I said before, we're going to be in Acts 
chapter four. So if you have a Bible with you or have one on your phone, you can turn there with me. Uh, If you don't have a Bible and you want one, there's one in the seat back in front of you. You can turn there. It's on page 773 in the the brown Bibles in front of you. And we're going to see two major things that give us confidence that we can join God's work, even if we feel that push, that, that pushback that says, I just don't think I have enough to get this done. Not only does he give us the help we need to get in the door, but we're going to see in our text that he helps us every step of the way. So we're going to see two major things. And the first thing we're going to see is this. We can know that we can join in the work of Jesus because God's power is accessible. In other words, if I feel inadequate, if I don't think I have what it takes to jump in, that's okay because God is able to work through us by the Holy Spirit to do his work. He gives us the strength and equipping we need to do his work. God's power is accessible to us. Look with me again. Look with me at verse 23 of Acts 4. It says this, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So if you recall, last week, Peter and John had this pretty busy couple of days. They go to the temple, they find a man who's been lame there for 40 years, and they miraculously, by the power of God, in the name of Jesus, heal him so that he's not only able to walk, it says that he's jumping and dancing and praising God in the middle of the temple courts. And we think that that's a fantastic thing and nobody would have any problem with that. But again, we saw that the chief priests, the temples, they came and they arrested them. And they told them, you can't keep doing things in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John push back and say, no, I can't stop talking about Jesus. And so here, the early church, all of the other believers are hearing this for the very first time. They're seeing and they're hearing what God is doing through Peter and John. And it's obvious that like they want to keep going. They know we can't stop talking about Jesus either. They want to join in on what God is doing. But the early church knew that they needed God's power in light of what had happened, in light of what Peter and John had gone through. Because look at what they do right after they hear what happened. They don't have a huge celebration. They don't throw them a party. They don't sit there with a round of applause. They pray. Verse 24, he says this, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The people cry out to God and they say, they say, okay, God, you're in control. You're over this. You are sovereign, God, because you made everything. So you knew that this was going to happen. You knew that we'd be going through this. And you even spoke it through David all those years ago. Again and again and again, we see in the book of Acts, they look back at the Old Testament and they bring it to what they see God doing now. And they say, this is about this. They recite Psalm 2 here. Say, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The early church looks at what David wrote and they say, yes, absolutely. David was right. In his day, he knew that everyone around him was conspiring against the Lord, but it was all in vain. And then they took it a step further and said, and yes, God is fulfilling this right before our eyes. There are so many things trying to work against the work of God, but it's all vain, empty, nothing. They say that the opposition was so scary that stands against God to them was like nothing to God because he is above and sovereign over it all. So for us, 
If back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the nations, the peoples, the rulers, the kings, if everything we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament that was coming against God were vain, empty, nothing, foolish, doesn't it mean that whatever reason we have for letting the work of God pass by because I just don't have enough, doesn't that mean that those things are vain and empty too? Of course it does. And, and I love what the early church does next. They don't just cite the scriptures and leave them where they are. They bring them right to where they are now. Look with me at verse 27, just the next few verses. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice how they tie the scripture back to, to what they're experiencing right now. The kings in Psalm 2, well, that's just like Herod now. The rulers that we talk about, that's like Pontius Pilate and Rome. The peoples are actually our own people of Israel and, and the Gentiles are like the nations that come before him. But all of them tried to stop the work of God and, and all of it failed. Do I pray like this? Do you pray like this? Are we going to our Bibles? Are we looking at God's word to see what it has to say about our world and how we can come before God in light of it? Alan, a few weeks back, mentioned a book that he, was, that he read called Transforming Prayer. And full disclosure, he's having me read it for my internship, so I'm going through it right now. But in this book, the author Dan Henderson puts forth this method of praying, and it's not a golden ticket that's gonna make your prayer life special in and of itself. It's not the special formula that you've always been missing, but it's a, it's a different way of praying. It's praying right through scripture, opening the word of God, seeing what it says, praying in light of the truths that it proclaims. And, and I know I need this. I need this just as much as the early church did because I don't know about you, but I can see that the nations rage against God. I can feel that the rulers and, and, and the kings of this world don't want the things of God to prosper. Like we can see that all around. And, and I need that reminder that all the big things that I see coming against the work of God are vain, nothingness. And, and what better words to use than the words of scripture? What better words to use than the words that God has written himself? Of course there's gonna be people and obstacles and things that come against the work of God. And of course we're gonna think that that could exclude us from that, but really when we look at God's word, we can see it's empty, foolish, nothing. That's the power of God that we find in the word of God. But how do I know that it's, that it's accessible? Remember I said the power of God is accessible. Like we can, we can experience it. How do I know that? How do I know it's there for me when I need it? Look with me again at verses 29 and 30. They say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your Holy, Spirit, Spirit, Holy Servant Jesus. Simple, we, we ask. The church didn't go to God and see the nations raging and the kings conspire in vain. They didn't see that and say, we need you to take this all away. We want, we want to make this road easier for us. No, they asked for the boldness and the strength to live for Jesus in the midst of rage and plots and vanity of the world. 
They plead with God to give them the boldness to continue to preach and talk about the resurrection of Jesus, the power that they have seen. And then look what happens next, right in verse 31. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When they asked for boldness and strength, God answered. They asked for boldness and they receive it through the Holy Spirit. We see this over and over and over again in the book of Acts. Whenever the work of God needs doing, the Holy Spirit emboldens his people and they can do it. Over and over and over again. Something needs to be done. The Holy Spirit comes to his people. They're they're given the strength to get done exactly what needs to be done. That's a whole pattern of the book of Acts. We saw it last week. We saw it the week before. We'll see it this week. We'll see it next week. We'll see it for weeks and weeks and weeks to come. All throughout the book of Acts, that's the pattern. And so we sing a song here sometimes called Same God. And the whole message of the song is that it's not complicated. It's, it's right in the title. Is that the same God that we see in the scriptures, in the New Testament who emboldens his believers, in the Old Testament who called everything that comes against him empty and vain. That same God we see in scripture is the same God that you and I follow. So here's the question. If the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and all throughout scripture continually equips and emboldens and empowers his people to get done the work that they see needs to get done, why would he not do the same for us? If I see that God's moving, if I can see that he's doing work and I know that I want to get in on it, but like, I don't feel like I've got enough. Well, why would the Holy Spirit not give you everything you need just like he did here? So if you think that there is anything that can really stop you from joining in on the work that you see God doing, it's not there. It's not true. There's nothing that you can bring and say, okay, I, I want to come into the kingdom of God. I want to join in on the work that God's doing, but this. No, the, the but this doesn't really matter. It's not going to be how adequate you are, how smart you are. Your own shortcomings are not going to disclude you from the work of God. It's not going to be the things that happened in your past that exclude you from joining in on God's work. It's not going to be how confident you are that's going to keep you from joining in God's work. It's not going to be how smart you are. There's nothing, there's no reason that you could bring that would say, oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. You can't, you can't, you can't join in. No. There's no reason we can't join in when we see God at work because we don't rely on my own strength, my own power, my own capability. We rely solely on God's power and God's strength in us, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, we know that God's power is accessible. And so I'd encourage you, if there's anything that you can think of today, if you can see the work that God's doing, and you're like, okay, but I'm just not enough to get in on that, but this thing, take that and bring it to Jesus. Whether it's something you think you need more of or something you need to get rid of, bring it to God and lay it down and watch him bring you into the work that he's doing. He will give you everything you need to join in on what he's doing if you but ask. And there's a second thing though. It's, it's not just that we can know that we have power and can be emboldened by the Holy Spirit through, like the early church. There's more. There's a second thing that we're going to see. And the second thing that we're going to see in our text today is this. Not only is God's power accessible, but his provision is plentiful. God is able to embolden us and empower us just like he did the early church. I, I am confident of that. But it's more than just the strength to start. 
God gives us the stuff that we need to stay the course. We can, we can join in on God's work because his power is, is there for us. But we can continue in his work because his provision is plentiful for us. Look with me at the next couple verses in Acts 4.32. All the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. So here we see the prayer that the people asked for. God, give us the strength and boldness we need. And the answer that they got, okay, I'll give you exactly what you need. We see that continually lived out by the church. The church booms with this boldness and unity that says to one another, there's, there's no this is mine and this is yours. No, there's a sense of togetherness and care that said, if I need to give up this to serve and take care of you, that isn't even a thought for me. That's like, there's no mine and yours. There's, there's everything that God has provided for us. And it says the apostles continue to preach and teach the message of Jesus because they knew this is what God called them to do. That's the commission that Jesus gave them in the book of Matthew, in the, in the book of John, in, right at the start of the book of Acts. That's what Jesus called them to do. And they knew that whatever came against them, like we saw, was vain, nothingness, empty. But it's not just the apostles. It says here that the Spirit of God was poured out on everyone, but not everyone was there to preach. Not everyone was there to stand up like the apostles and do that. But look what happens. Verse three, it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then this, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. The Holy Spirit was at work in the apostles and the power was at work in the apostles. Yes, there is no denying that. But it was at work in the entire church to see God use them to provide for those in need. You see, we often talk about God's power. We heard just a couple weeks ago about how, about how God's power can still heal the sick. It can still heal the needy and the broken. Alan told a story about his, his friend Kat who was at they, they were at this big conference and she miraculously, her arm was miraculously healed. Yes, that is 100% God's power. But one thing we see here is that God's power is not just those big miraculous works in our world. God's power is marked by the radical generosity of God's people. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit's power in, in my life and in yours. The Spirit of God is so powerfully at work in the church that they gave up whatever they had for the kingdom of God so that everyone around them could see how much God provides, and so that everyone could see that God's provision was plentiful enough for all of them. This, this, this type of generosity is something we could only dream of. It's, it's a lifestyle that seems really impossible to us because like, I, I have, like, but God, is this not my stuff? But listen to this. The early church could give so radically because they relied on God so fervently for what they need. And so when I see this, what do I do with this? Am, am I telling every one of us, okay, we're gonna go home. Every one of us is gonna sell everything we have. We're gonna take all the proceeds, we're gonna bring it to the church, and we're all gonna live here for the rest of our lives. Who's gonna sign up? I don't even, I don't even have that much to sell, so it's not that many, of course not. Like, of course I'm not asking that. We're going to see next week, Alan's going to bring, we're going to look next week at just the next passage. This is not Luke telling us 
Sell everything you have and give it to the church. It's not, you don't need to sell everything. That's not a prerequisite for joining in on the work of God. That's not something that's going to get you more brownie points just because you did it. No, we're not going to say that you need to sell everything. The church's generosity wasn't significant because of how much they sold, but it was their attitude towards the things that God had given them. What we see here shows us that you and I need to be living with a type of generosity and reliance on God so that others can be without need, so that when we see a need, we are willing to do what it takes to fill it. Not only so that we can see others have their needs fulfilled by God, but so that we can see God work in us as well. You know, I was wrestling through this and I was thinking about it and I could just like, there's something, there's a big block in, 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 this, in this week's message that I'm missing. I don't know how to bring this to the people and be like, this is what it looks like. And in the ways that God usually works, he brought it to me at the very last minute. Just last night, I was at a banquet for YFC. Many of you know, my wife works with YFC Strathroy. So they, last night they threw a banquet and they had lots and lots of people there. And so the night went by and there was food, which was pretty good food. And there were songs and there were stories of what happens at the youth center downtown. And the staff got the opportunity to share with everyone the needs of these kids in the community. And they gave them opportunities to join in. And one of the ways they did this was a dessert auction. And so I heard, there's a dessert auction. I like dessert. So I went in and I was like, you know what, Beth? Like, I know, like, we could, we could bid on a dessert. Like, we could see if we could get a nice cake for, you know, 30, 40 bucks, that type of thing. And boy, was I wrong. Because they hold up this cake. And don't get me wrong, it was a homemade cake. It's a very nice cake. But I'm like waiting for people to start bidding. And I'm literally about to put my hand up just to get the bidding going. Just be like, 20 bucks. And somebody goes, I'll, I'll buy that for $100. And I immediately knew I'm not walking away with anything today. <laughs> and, and so that keeps going up and up. And dessert after dessert, no offense to these people, I saw them overpay like crazy for these desserts. I mean, like, granted, they were good, but I mean, these people were putting hundreds of dollars towards these desserts. And, and, and it, to be honest, it took me a little bit to realize it wasn't about the dessert. It was about giving to the people who were in need, because they knew, however much this dessert goes for, yeah, fine, whatever. But that much is going to go towards these kids and this community so that they can know that there's a place where they're seen and known like they've never experienced before. And if I'm going to be honest, I, my heart was just filled with joy when I looked over and I saw a group of unnamed people from this church. They're unnamed because I know them and they would kill me if I told you their names. And, and time after time, they were willing to step up and say, okay, I'll, I'll give this much. And then I don't know what was going on, but they were outbidding people like crazy. And I saw them pour out genu- generously to support this banquet last night. And so for those of you who were there, I didn't get a chance to talk to all of you, but thank you. Like that was amazing. And it touched my heart in ways that you will never know. And, and here's the best part about that. Like you could tell it really wasn't about the desserts for them because they didn't even stop there. They gave so generously and radically that I had no idea that that was going on. They didn't stop there. So to be clear, they ended up with like half the desserts on their table. But immediately, they're like, yeah, no, this isn't about the desserts at all. And they immediately turned around. And every time I looked at their table, they're offering their desserts to people. They're, they're re-auctioning them off to people for free. And, and I just looked 
And I, and I was, my heart was filled with such joy and thankfulness for those people that I could see that's the picture of this radical generosity that the church lived with. That when they saw people in need, they said, yeah, I'll give up whatever I need because I know God has more than enough for both of us. And I know what you're thinking. They twisted my arm. I did try some of the cheesecake they bought and it was fantastic. But that's what it looks like to live with this type of generosity and reliance on God. When we see our brother and sister in need and we say, okay, it's going to cost me, but I am going to fill that need because I know that God has more than enough for both of us. We can confidently continue in God's work because God's provision is plentiful and he takes care of us as we take care of each other. And, and Luke knows that this type of generosity and reliance on God is unheard of. It's not, it's not regular now. It wasn't regular then. So it goes even one step further and he, and he gives us an example. In the last two verses of the chapter. Now Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Like, Luke is like, I know this sounds crazy, but this really happened. Here's the name of the guy that did it. His name was, jo- his name was Joseph. They called him Barnabas. He sold everything and he brought it to the apostles. Barnabas, this, this man, is going to be a major part in the book of Acts in just a little bit. He goes on Paul with his first missionary journey. He, he is part of one of the first great missionary journeys in the history of the gospel. But his story actually starts here, marked by a radical generosity to the people around him and a reliance on God to provide. You see, God's power is accessible and his provision is plentiful to those who ask. Are we a people that ask the Lord for strength and boldness? Are we people that rely on the Holy Spirit to provide for us as we provide for others? Do we really believe that when I step out and and it's going to cost me, but I'm going to fill this need for this person, do I trust that God's going to provide for me as I do that? Do I trust that he's not only going to bring me into his work, but he's going to continually sustain me as I continue to do it? As you think back to yourself and as you look at the week ahead, ask yourself, am I praying for the power to live boldly like the early church? And am I asking God to show me the ways that he already provides for me so that I can trust he'll continue to do so? Because whether we see it or not, God is providing for each and every one of us. Are we relying on the Holy Spirit to give us both the power and strength we need to join him and the provision that he gives to sustain us. You see, that feeling that we have that I don't know if I have it in me, I don't know if I have enough, it's not, it's not wrong. I, I don't have what it takes to join in on God's work. I'm me, I got, I got flaws, I got problems. I'm wildly unorganized, but I don't rely on my own strength. The, the problem isn't that I feel inadequate and insufficient. The problem is that I need, I need to trust that, that God's going to sustain me. He's going to equip me. You see, we, we can, like, it's not just that we can sheepishly join. We can confidently join the work that God's doing, not because I have the best tools for the job. I don't. If you looked around, you'd probably find a better person at doing essentially anything I do better than me, okay? It's not because I have the best tools for the job. It's because God has more than enough to equip me for what he needs me to do. And here's the thing. You know this, and I know this. 
Because let me ask you this. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, were you saved because you had enough? Were you saved because of the things that that you could do to show God that I'm, I'm worthy of being saved? No, of course not. That's the whole message of the cross is that no, we weren't enough, but Jesus was more than enough for us. That's what better picture is there of the power that God has and the provision he provides than the cross of Jesus Christ? There's none. There's an amazing book and many of you will have heard of it. Many of you will have read it called Pilgrim's Progress. If you don't know anything about it, it's one of my favorite books. And to be honest, it's one of the first books I actually read when I, when I got to college, I kind of skimmed through a lot of my textbooks, but I read this one. It's an amazing book. It's written by a man named John Bunyan, and he has this dream. And the whole book is his dream, and it's a picture of the life of a Christian. So it follows this man named Christian, and he's not anyone in particular. He's, met, he's, he's there to represent you. He's there to represent me. And the whole story is that Christian reads the word of God, and he realizes that he needs to get to the celestial city. He needs to get to heaven. Now here's the problem. He doesn't know how to get there and he's got this burden that is weighing him down. Literally, he reads the Bible and a giant pack appears on his back and he doesn't know what to do with it. And it's heavy and it's draining. He tries to get it off and it won't move. But all he does is he keeps going on this journey. He follows the words of the man who tells him how to get there. He follows the words of the Bible. And there is this beautiful, beautiful picture early, early on in the book where Christian is walking this road and he walks up this hill and he comes to a place called Calvary. And Christian is tired and he's broken and he's like, I just, I need this weight to go and I I don't know what to do. And he comes to this place called Calvary and he looks up and he sees the cross on which his price was paid. He sees the cross of Jesus and he understands the power of God and the love of God and everything displayed in the cross. And as he looks up, he feels the straps begin to loosen. He feels the strings begin to break. And as he looks up and he comprehends the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross, the pack that is on his back that nothing could sway breaks completely. And it rolls down the hill and it falls into a ditch and and he never sees it again. That's the power that we see when we look at the cross. And so as Christian continues in his journey, all throughout the book, time and time again, he faces obstacles that he has no idea how he's going to overcome. And then time and time again, the master of the celestial city, who in this allegory is God, the Lord provides for him in ways that he could only imagine. He always gives Christian what he needs to continue on. And that's the provision that God provides. At the cross of Christ, you and I can see both the power that we need to get started and the provision that he provides all the way home. Because on the cross, when Jesus sat there, And when he hung there and he paid for the sins that you and I commit, his power was on display when he defeated sin and Satan and death once and for all. His power is on display when he bears the penalty of our sin that we could never, ever pay in a million years. And by his power, he doesn't stay down. He rises again three days later just to declare his ultimate victory over whatever comes against him. But it's not only that. When we look at Jesus we can understand that it's, it's only because he provides for us that he actually invites us in to that. 
He doesn't keep this victory that he's claimed for himself. He extends the invitation to all of us. And because he wants to provide for us, he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us every step of the way. He gives us direction. There's, there's a wonderful song that my little sister showed me, and you guys can't tell her I told, her that, told you this because I won't admit it to her. And the lyrics say that, I thank God because he picked me up, he turned me around, he healed my heart, he changed my name, he changed everything about me. That's what God provides for us at the cross. And so if God's power and his provision is enough to save us, is it not enough to sustain us to do his work? And so if you think that for one minute it would be better to let the work of God pass by you because I don't have what it takes, God's already given you everything you need to find your place in his kingdom and to serve him all the way home. And like I said just a few minutes ago, we know this. You know this and I know this. If I asked you these things, you'd be like, yeah, of course. But as our beloved Pastor Daryl always tells us, we're leaky buckets. We often forget and we often need reminders. And so every week, we as a church come together and we remind each other of these things. And we remind ourselves as we gather around the communion table. This serves as a reminder of the price that Jesus paid so that we can enter into his kingdom. So that we can see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and receive the provision that we need to continue throughout our days but it's not something that we can take lightly. We often recite uh, 1 Corinthians 11 when we take communion. And I'll read that again in, in just a few moments when we, when we take it. But the verses just after where we usually stop say this. And so then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. And so I'm going to take this time and I'm going to call Janine back up to start playing at the piano and the worship team is going to come forward in just a minute. And I'm going to invite our service teams forward to everyone who's coming to serve communion. But as we do this, I'm going to pray to finish off. And when I finish praying, take some time. Let us examine ourselves Let's do, that, let's do that heart check that Paul calls us to here. Do I believe that God's power and his provision is enough for me? Am I trusting in the body and the blood of Christ, not just to save me, but to sustain me as I join in his work? And when, when you've done that, when you've taken that time to spend some time with God, to, to check our hearts, to examine ourselves, and when we're ready, would you come and share in the table of the king this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for you. For everything that you are and everything that you give us. We are so thankful that you sent your son, Jesus, to pay the price that we could never pay, to win the fight that we were hopeless in. And Lord, we thank you that on the cross we see both the power that you have and the provision that you extend to us displayed. And I thank you that that is enough not just to save us and leave us where we are, but to bring us along on the journey with you, to watch you work and to confidently continue in what you're doing. Thank you for the blood 
and the body that allows us this. And so Lord, as we take this time, would you just help us? Help us to examine ourselves, to do that heart check, to recognize the areas where we've fallen short of this and to repent of those and to come before you this morning. And after we've done that, would you give us the joy of partaking in the Lord's Supper together? We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.